and welcome to Kraken Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, once again joined by Angel. This week, Angel, in this space traditionally reserved for some bizarre hobby of yours, I have to hit you with some troubling news. This is a bit of a public intervention about a new habit of yours that has seemingly overtaken your life. This goes back a few months, and I have indeed pinpointed the exact date where I first recognized this problem. If you recall, back on February 7th, we were having a heated debate about a relatively popular meme going around the internet at the time. It was a picture of nine deli meats in a grid format. (laughs) And at the top, it simply said, Once forever ban this is basically a variant on the ever popular f mary kill game but you know in this version it's about deli meat where you must choose one to eat only once more and never again allowing it to enter your body then one that will become the only deli meat you may ever eat again and finally you must choose one to ban across the world never allowing it to ever even be to be uh, produced ever again. So that is once forever ban. Your choices were somewhat surprising, but knowing you also somewhat expected. The one you chose to eat once more, never again, was of course corned beef. Your, Your choice to eat forever was a controversial choice, that being roast beef. And to ban across the world, you went with turkey. Do you recall why you made these choices? Yes. <laughs> I suppose you want me to tell you why. To elaborate, yeah. Well, if you remember back to February 7th. Yeah, I remember the day as uh, as if it were yesterday, actually. Quite frankly, I think everyone will agree with me on this. Turkey just sucks all around. <laughs> like, even if it's not a deli meat, it's just... What? Yeah, you know. Just, come on. Come on, who who really who really likes turkey? I mean, if if people if we love turkey so much, the United States would have picked it as its uh mm-hmm. as its uh bird, our national bird. We would have went the Ben Franklin route, yeah, and went with turkey. Yeah. So there's that. So for roast beef, the meat you eat forever. Yeah, that I mean, it's obvious. Everyone loves beef. You're always saying, "Where's the beef? where's the roast beef?" <laughs> yeah, even even the Indians, you know, they consider the their their cows sacred because they love them. You know, we we meat eaters love them in a different way, but so what better way to eat beef than roasted? After you eat your roast beef, like after about an hour, can you still taste in your mouth like I can? Yes, it's the best. I love it so much. <laughs> the aftershocks of roast beef. <laughs> and your corned beef just once more? Yeah. Well, because, I mean, let's just face it. Corned beef is a salt-cured brisket of beef. I mean, do you have to say more? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, with that being said, the deli meat thing isn't what our intervention is about, Angel. You see, after our conversation, which was very eye-opening on that day, you said something that really caught me off guard. You said, where are my lips? 
and you started to lick your lips and began frantically, frantically looking around and checking your pockets. You became a bit uh, withdrawn, and a few minutes later, you excused yourself and just left the conversation. <laughs> I was taken aback by this a bit because I don't recall you ever using this phrase before, so I figured you were doing some sort of bit that just fell flat. I, I just completely no-sold it and never brought it up ever again. Yet a few days later, we were discussing what direction we should take this show this season, and you lost your train of thought. You said, w where are my lips? And you started to lick them and move all about like you were covered in, in tiny bugs. <laughs> after, <laughs> after a few moments, you, you pulled out a chaps. This is serious. After a few moments, you pulled out a chapstick container, kissed it, and you said, I found my lips. You then <laughs> proceeded to aggressively apply the chapstick, grunted, <laughs> and moved on. <laughs> and moved on like nothing <laughs> ever ever happened as I looked on in absolute astonishment of what just occurred. Even just during my intervention here, you have applied chapstick four times, and I'm also going to have to edit out all of your post-application grunts from the episode. I mean, I have to ask you this, Angel. Why do you call chapstick your lips? I have a story to tell you. You don't know this about me. I'm going to hold this up to you. You see this? So, for all the curiosities out there, this is, this is, I'm holding up a, 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 a bottle of whiteout. And I'm showing Matt the whiteout because what happened is that I'm addicted to whiteout. And I would, you know, just uh, apply some on my lips. Like if it was a lipstick of some kind. And I would just uh, let it dry on my lips. And then the, the whiteout gets all. Um, crackly, and and I pretend like I have dry lips, and so I would then apply the whiteout to chapstick, and then I would put the chapstick on my lips to see if the whiteout would get on my lips. I don't know if you've read the bottle of a white a whiteout bottle before. Does it say don't put on your lips? It says do not swallow or inhale. So I don't know what this bottle has done to me, but. I'm pretty sure the chapstick is now my lips. When I open the chapstick, I look at it's like the color matches my lips. I'm like, that's that's Wait, them. You do honestly always have white lips. So, <laughs> so clearly the whiteout has whited out my lips. And now in order for me to continue having lips, I have to apply them with the chapstick. So like back in second grade, did you start with rubber cement? Rubber cement? No, it was Elmer's glue. <laughs> oh, you didn't do the, the rubber cement. Never went that far. No, no, that's absurd. Okay. <laughs> uh, are you aware of how addicted it to the chapstick you have become? Is Are you self-aware of this, though? No, I hadn't thought about that until you uh, mentioned until that just it now. Up. Yeah. So since February, how many sticks do you think you've gone through? I don't keep track because I, I budget for my chapstick i spend about three thousand dollars worth of chapsticks <laughs> and i figured that that gives me enough to, to last for a while did you get him at dollar tree <laughs> listen dollar tree that's a whole other can of worms 
You don't want me going there. Um, has, no one else has ever brought this up to you? Um, no, because I usually offer them chapstick. And they're like, what? And I'm like, oh, I haven't opened it. So it doesn't have the, the white on it? Yeah. Yet. Uh, I'll let one stay in the episode for our curiosity. So let's have you now <laughs> apply, apply, <laughs> apply your lips and give us one of your patented post-application grunts. Uh, it happened already. Sorry. <laughs> I did it again. Sounded like... Stubbed your toe or inhaled someone's soul from, from them. Some other day I'll tell you about the double-sided scotch tape. That's a story for another day. All these things that you keep on your desk are addictions. This is a common one. I thought it was a piece of chalk. No, of course not. It's a, it's a permanent marker. I wipe the tears out of my eyes. If you are out of chapstick, do you know what Lydia Child suggests in her book? The- <laughs> he just applied white out to his lips. In her book, The American Frugal Housewife in the year 1829. If you don't have chapstick available. No. Earwax. Excuse me? Commercially produced lip balms didn't come out until around the 1880s, which means the people involved in our strange event of this episode couldn't just slap on some flavored lip balm covered in whiteout to provide an occlusive layer on the lip surface to seal moisture in the lips and protect them from external exposure. Angel, they had to make do with dry lips or dig out some earwax and put it on their mouth. And most certainly the two individuals at the focal point of this episode were running around the 12th century England with some seriously chapped lips. For this episode, Angel, we must actually travel back into time to an undefined year under the reign of King Stephen, at least according to William of Newburgh. If you recall back to our Merlin episode, which heavily featured Geoffrey of Monmouth's history of the kings of Britain, William of Newburgh absolutely despised Geoffrey and his book, saying, I quote, Only a person ignorant of ancient history would have any doubt about how shamelessly and impudently he lies in almost everything. <laughs> He's like sniffing glue now. <laughs> Can you think of any better, anything better than the 12th century historians having beef with other historians because they think their work is, for the lack of a better term, dog shit? Uh, probably 11th century historians <laughs> doing that. <laughs> is this like exponentially then 10th, 9th, 8th, 7th? <clears throat> sure. And then it goes back to 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th. <laughs> goes back up. Why don't we still go by the naming styles of first name and place you are from? I don't know. I mean, I feel like, well, probably because everyone's going to have the same name at some point. There's going to be a ton of Johns of Masonville. Where the hell's Masonville? You know, where the Masons live. (laughs) So, (laughs) today, 
I think it would be wild. I think it would be fun. Something like, I am Navia from the Edge of Time or something to that effect. What do you think would be the coolest name and from combo? I think, I like the name Stefanur from Kel. Stefanur? Yeah. It's like, what What reference am I walking into here? <laughs> you know, S- Stephen from Ur. Oh, well, it's Stephen Ur. Oh, my Ur God. From Kel. <laughs> Get rid of the er, I mean the from, and you get Stephen Stephen Er Urkel. (laughs) Jasu. (laughs) This reign of King Stephen, which goes almost without saying, occurred from 1135 to 1144, making this one of the earliest events we have looked at thus far, and indeed in a long time, because we haven't looked at an event since like season two. (laughs) Now, maybe three, I don't know. (laughs) Fun fact about Stephen, there was a ship traveling from France to England that had around 300 passengers, including the heir to the English throne and a literal boatload of nobles that sank, killing all but two of the passengers. This began to set the stage for Stephen to get the throne, and he was indeed originally intended to be on that boat, but there is evidence that he didn't make the voyage due to suffering from all things diarrhea. Is this the best possible outcome to having the big D diarrhea? (laughs) What, not dying? I mean, yes. (laughs) (laughs) To be on the fast track to become king? You, just because you went on the Hershey Highway. Can you imagine? You're like, oh, I got diarrhea. And then the next day, you're like, you're the king. You're like, what? Well, it didn't happen that fast. You get <laughs> diarrhea, and then about 15 years later, you are the king of England because the line of succession is so jacked up from a boat sinking. Do you think he knew that? Do you think he thought Did about he plan that? It? Did, Did he... he plan it? He didn't have diarrhea. He sunk the boat. <laughs> Yeah. He was playing the long the long con. <laughs> Is this the most opportune bout of diarrhea in history? Yeah, since he planned it. He said he had it. I don't think he really had diarrhea. I think he said, Oh, my bowels. I can't go on this ship. But he he knew he, he had it made so that it was gonna sink. Is that what you say after three weeks of eating roast beef? <laughs> my bowels. <laughs> I can't go on this ship. <laughs> Now that we have established the time frame of this mysterious event between 1135 and 1144, I wanted to revisit a surprise fan favorite segment from last episode where we chose our favorite events from a specific year in what is now dubbed Angel's Temporal Incident Conversational Talk Openly Corner, known as your TikTok. Let's meet (laughs) in the middle of Stephen's reign and find out what is your favorite event that occurred in the year 1139. I'll tell you what my favorite event is. And it's the event that is going to occur when I tell you this thing. But also the event I tell you. (laughs) It's going to happen again? It's going to (laughs) happen. The thing, the event that's going to happen is going to happen now. At 1139, either in July 8th or August 21st, one of those two. Those calendars are wishy-washy back <laughs> yeah. then. During the Jing Song Wars, the Battle of Yangcheng, Song Dynasty General Yue Fei defeats an army led by Jin Dynasty General Wu Su. What happened here 
was a whole thing. And let me just t- read to you from the Wikipedia page that tells me a little bit more about that battle, right? It says in it starts off with in May of 1140 <laughs> The 10th year of Emperor Gao Zong of Song's Shaozing era, Wushu, fourth son of Emperor Taizu of Jin, invaded the south at the head of the Jin army, threatening the Song on all sides. So first off, we went from July, August to the next year. Why? Why (laughs) am I being told that this occurred in June or, or in July or August of 1139 and then... An article later, it's telling me in May of 1140, this is happening. I don't understand what's going on here. This weird temporal... A uh, temporal anomaly. <laughs> anomaly. <laughs> exactly. Um, whatever. I do have one thing to say about this whole thing. Is that UFA was considered of a, a, a Chinese folk hero. You know, they, they all talk about him. So he's very important in their history. Except in 2002, when the official guidelines for history teachers said that he could no longer carry the title. The title of what? Of, of folk hero for all the Chinese. Oh, he got defolk heroed? <laughs> he got defolk heroed. Because... That would be like saying, Paul Bunyan, get the F out. <laughs> <laughs> because apparently UFA had defended China from the Jurchen people. Who are currently considered part of China or part of the Chinese nation. And so because he defended against them, they're like, we can't have a Chinese folk hero fighting against other Chinese people. So he cannot be considered a hero anymore. Damn. He's the villain of the story now. (laughs) He's the villain, it seems. Um, But... The Chinese Ministry of Education and the Minister of Defense deny such claims and still clearly address UFA as a national hero of China. I can't wait to find out what happens next. Is he a folk hero? Is he not? The Chinese people must speak. (laughs) And that's all I have to say about that. I mean, 1139 was a rough year. By rough, I mean boring as shit. (laughs) (laughs) I went, Angel, with the second counselor of the Lateran. Which we can all agree that this sequel was better than the first council. <laughs> Most notably, this the tenth ecumenical council recognized by the Catholic Church reinforced priestly celibacy. There you go. But mm. there are some major changes here by your boys of the second council of the Lateran Angel. Your boys in Canon 14, apparently, with the intentions of God being written upon their parchment, prohibited under pain of deprivation of Christian burial of jousts and tournaments which endangered life. Isn't that a bummer? No more jousting? Is that like in general or just like on horses? What's going on? No more tournaments (laughs) that endangered a life. This may be heretical. But would the thrill of the joust be worth not getting the Christian burial? Well, I want to know why the joust? Why not anything else? I think because it was the popular tournament of the time of endangering life. Oh, okay. Like like lies if there were gladiatorial games, I'm sure they've been... You you, got to stop this. Oh, so they were just concerned for the well-being. The morality of it, yeah. Of course, of course. Don't want to go to the thrill of seeing a person die during a joust. That's not christian 
My favorite, though, is Cannon 29. The use of bows, slings, and crossbows, or really any missile weapon against Christians, was prohibited. I looked into it, and apparently Conrad III of Germany forbade his army of using bows for around a decade. Then he noticed no one else gave a shit, and, <laughs> and, he, was, and he stopped and was like, well, this is dumb. Guess we're using bows again. So... <laughs> Poor honest Conrad the Third, the only one that really did it. <laughs> if you could ban any type of weaponry as part of an ecumenical council in eleven thirty nine, what would you have gone with? Fists. <laughs> no more fist fights. No more fist fights. Because who was really fist fighting back then anyway? It's a it's an easy thing to ban. Everyone loves you for your moral stance, but nobody has to feel bad about Oh, no, we can't use our fists because they're like, oh, we're using bows and arrows and swords and shit. Yeah. So, yeah, you're not marching your army out there to go <laughs> punch your knuckle fighting against the Gauls or something like that. <laughs> Fisticuffs. <laughs> With the table set, the fine china placed, the aggressively tall, thin, romantic candles lit, the cutlery placed on the table, including four separate forks and three spoons that I have no idea what the, hell the purpose of them are, and our King Stephen appetizer consumed. I only have one last question for you, Angel. Are you ready? Sum obrutus ut gogere credere. That means it's I'm... Latin. Yes, it's Latin for I'm willing to believe. Okay, Latin fox molder. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. I don't think that's the literal translation, so don't don't at me. It's a dead language. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Today, we are looking at the strange events. Well, maybe Pliny the Digital cares. <laughs> <laughs> we are looking at the strange event of the green children of Woolpit. Somewhere woven between legend, folklore, fairy tale, and reality, we find ourselves in the quaint village of Woolpit, in Suffolk, England, Thomas Keatley, in his book, The Fairy Mythology from the year 1828, informs us of a, quote, wonderful thing, end quote, being told by Ralph of Coggis Hall at, at St. Mary's of the Wolf Pits. Is there any place better to say you are from than the Wolf Pits? Yeah, no, forget my from Kel. Who cares about that? I want to be from the Wolf Pits. Your angel from the Wolf Pits. <laughs> Does that not make you sound like a supervillain? Uh, supervillain? I th I feel like it or makes me... Or a folk hero. You <laughs> <laughs> sound like I came from the depths of hell for some reason. <laughs> You're here to kick ass. <laughs> you didn't bring any weapons. You brought your fist to friggin' punch someone's heart out. <laughs> if you had to describe in your mind right now a person from the wolf pits, what would they look like? Definitely lots of smoldering flames. <laughs> They're on fire almost, like embers coming embers, from their back. yeah. Releasing smoke. Kind of uh, sooty. They got soot all over. They're like fire elemental people? Apparently. This is where my mind went. And and they love to the people howl. People of the wolf pits are powerful. They howl. They werewolf fire people? Yes. So... 
In contrast to that, our story begins as Keatley writes, when two children, a boy and girl, were found near the mouth of a pit who had the form of all their limbs like to those of other men, but they differed in the color of their skin from all the people of our habitable world, for the whole surface of their skin was tinged of a green color. So we have two children who are green, but it is reinforced that they are clearly human, or at least they have all the normal characteristics of a human beyond, you know, being green. Put yourself in the shoes of the everyday wolf pit man living under the reign of your beloved and handsome King Stephen, the king whose godly right was given to him by divine diarrhea. Your name is Robert, the number four most popular English name at that time. You, And you are out for a stroll amongst the wolf pits to see if any wolves have been ensnared in your perfectly engineered wolf pit traps. The day is sunny. And the previous harvest was poor, so you need to add beans, peas, and frickin' acorns into your bread so there's actually something to eat. Where you expect to find a wolf to kill in one of your slaughter pits, you instead find two orphan children attempting to climb out of your pit. Their skin is a strange green color. They're speaking to you, but you don't understand their foreign language. What do you do? I yell at them. HALT! <laughs> Like like a guard? Yes. Telling them to stop? Stop right there. Stay in the pit. <laughs> but they don't understand you. What do you do next? I embrace them. You hug them? I hug them. You go from telling them to halt to hugging. Yes. You're the halt hugger <laughs> of the wolf pit. The wolf pit. Robert the hugger, you are known <laughs> as. Yes. Well known wide uh, across the land. The worst guard of Wolf Pit. He hugs you when he sees you. So I try not to imprint my opinion too much, Angel, but this is where I have already decided that this is all a fairy tale, or at least a wildly embellished story. You find some green children in a pit. Of all the creatures and stories that we have looked at into in, in this show, there is one singularity that links them all. Humans attack and attempt to kill shit that isn't like them. <laughs> I'm now expected to believe that these children who were just hoisted out of the pit, brushed off, and given a nice meal and not and were not stabbed with a ten-foot spear and their little green heads put on the pike to keep other green little demons away from the village, right? Yeah. <laughs> how did that how did that not happen? <laughs> I imagine it didn't, it didn't mention anything other than their skin. I imagine they were blonde for some reason. And I think I think that's what made everyone say, they're oh, all right. They're so cute. <laughs> they're all right. <laughs> Does helping these kids not go against all of the human interactions we have seen on this show, though? Like, if they had guns at the time, <laughs> would they not gather a posse and shoot them instantly? Yes. <laughs> but I'm sure if that were the case, it would have been something like, oh, the children somehow fell backwards and then floated away. And it's like, are they not <laughs> floated away into the oh, yeah, like the hopscotch gobbos? <laughs> they're impervious to bullets, <laughs> and they just kept coming. They used all their bullets, all their uh, black powder. Yep. Uh, so, Keatley then pulls himself from his own consciousness and directly speaks to us, almost two hundred years later, Angel, as he writes, "They were then brought as curiosities." <laughs> 
to the house of a certain knight, Sir Richard de Calne, at Wykes. They wept bitterly. To me, this reads that they weren't saved for their intrinsic value as humans, but indeed because of their curious skin color. So put yourself once again in the shoes of our hypothetical villager named Robert the Hugger. You bring the green children to Richard, your most beloved knight in the area. What are you expecting to occur here? A reward? I think so. Some sort of, uh, you know, maybe, uh, hey, uh, can you make me a member of the knights now? Because I've been trying to get in. You know, I've been guarding. You're knighted for bringing two green children I'm, to Richard? I've been guarding these wolf pets. And finally, something good comes out of them. These green little children. Come on, man. Make me a knight. I want to fight things. I want a sword. Or were you, Robert, expecting Cotton Eye Joe's razor, the axiom that states for the green children to have come from somewhere, they must therefore go somewhere. So where did they come from? The story goes that the green children could not speak the local language, so it was impossible to tell exactly where they came from. Indeed, it was reported as a completely unknown language. While at Sir Richard's estate, they had trouble even getting them to eat food. Everything they were given, the children would push away, even though it is stated they were, quote, tormented by great hunger. Nothing was appetizing until by happenstance some freshly cut beans were brought in. Pods and stalks and all. The children expressed a great veracity and desire for the beans upon seeing them and tore open the bean stalks. When they did not find beans inside the stalks, Keatley writes, the children wept anew. <laughs> the people aiding the children thought, well, look at these buffoons. Beans aren't in the stalks, they're in the pods. Keatley's retelling continues, they opened the pods and showed them the naked beans. They fed on these with great delight for a long time, <laughs> and for a long time tasted no other food. What do you make of this weird bean interaction, and why do you think they were so drawn to beans? So, first of all, I am very confused by the interaction. They seemed excited when they brought them the things. But, but they didn't know where the beans were. But they were. didn't know where the beans were. So, it's like, had they never eaten beans before, then why were they excited? Why did they know to rip open something? In this case, the beanstalk. Uh, maybe they, they, they're... They were familiar with some other kind of plant that you rip open the stalk and there's something inside of it. I don't know. I oh, can't. What the hell's that? I, like the goodies aren't in the stalks; they're in the things growing out of the stalk. Maybe, maybe uh, there's bugs in them and they like to eat the bugs. I don't mm. know. <laughs> Whatever the case, that that one's very perplexing to me. Mm -hmm. As for why they enjoy the beans, though, once given beans. those beans. <laughs> The reason that, I think the reason that they uh, were so uh, attracted to them were because, you know, beans are high in amino acids. You know, they got 20 of them. Nine out of those are essential. They contain folate antioxidants, uh, reduce the chance of getting a heart attack. They reduce the risk of cancer. They help stabilize blood glucose levels. They improve your gut health. They prevent fatty liver They control your appetite. And possibly house a human soul. So that's that's why I think they are. Yep. <laughs> um, what was the last part? <laughs> you know, hu human souls. Human souls. Yeah. In, the, in the bean pods. In the bean pods. <laughs> so while the boy eventually died within a year of being found, 
Ooh, the girl, did, <laughs> the girl, <laughs> that's not funny. The girl did end up learning the local language. Over time, she would tell the story that all of the inhabitants of her village were indeed green in color, and they saw no sun, but enjoyed a degree of light like what is after sunset. So she claims that there are others, and they seemingly live in an area that is forever in twilight. Is there anything that jumps out to you as to what she could mean by this? I'm often reminded of, like, places up north, in the far north, mm. where, like, mm. they only experience, uh, they experience long bouts of sun and then long bouts of night. I can only think of things like that, but I don't, I feel like maybe saying forever in twilight, maybe it was kind of misinterpreted, or maybe mm. she really is from so far north where the sun never sets ever. But they're all green there, too. Yep. <laughs> Can't explain so, that one. Do we have aliens on our hands, Angel? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Why would aliens? Mm-hmm. It's like I picture these like how aliens were portrayed in, in those old uh, 50s <laughs> in the, TV shows. Sure it's just a guy. <laughs> it's just a regular person with a different skin color. He like stands with better posture. <laughs> and they always like speak properly English for some reason. Man, what an easy time to make entertainment. <laughs> just like, just get out there and be an alien. You're like, okay, <laughs> let me stand up straight and talk and move sort of robotically. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like, why were the aliens made to be like robots? Like, what is that? It's like, what would an alien do? Uh, just make them uh, stiff. All right. What would a robot do? Uh, same thing. All right. Make them stiff. <laughs> Supposedly, the children made it to our world by following a cow that they were tending, tending to into a cavern. Upon entering, they heard a delightful sound of bells, it is claimed, and apparently were enthralled by the sound so much that they continued through the cave until they came to its mouth. At this point, they were struck senseless by the excessive light of the sun and the unusual temperature of the air, and they thus lay for a long time, writes Keatley. Caves and bells. Do you have any earthly idea of what could have happened here, Angel? I didn't have an idea, but the internet seems to have had an idea. And they claimed that it was the bells from the churches that they heard. But what bothers me about that is that apparently they also have churches and stuff mm-hmm. in their land. So I'm mm-hmm. like, don't they have bells too? Why yeah. would they be enamored by the other bells? I don't get that. Yeah, they make it sound like they never heard a bell before. And they're like, <laughs> we're in the cave. We've got to, we've got to follow the bell. <laughs> and what's with this cow thing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come come back cow <laughs> cow just waltzes into a cave and they they hear some bells and they're like well screw the cow this bell is much better <laughs> some green people just show up like hey look at that cow get it didn't like in um the magical bean thing with the beanstalk uh whatever the main character's name is didn't he sell a cow to get beans yes he sold his cow to get magical beans Mm-hmm. And I think his wife was upset because mm-hmm. it's like, why would you do that, you idiot? Well, he's like, because I got freaking magical beans, woman. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, in order to, I guess, get one over her, he he ends up getting a giant beanstalk. And it's like, ah, oh, what's this? 
Yeah, look, look what I did. Look what my magical <laughs> beans did. I'm going to go kill a giant. <laughs> I have a question about that story. Where did that guy get those beans from? And why didn't he want them? Like, why is the cow better than the magical beans? <laughs> uh, if I recall, the cow's also pretty portrayed as, like, skin and bones, too. <laughs> and he's like, this cow's great. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, I know what these beans are, and I don't want them. <laughs> I don't want this voodoo on my soul. <laughs> I'm getting out of getting rid of these. What did he sell to get the beans? His soul. Oh no! Put him in the beans. That's yep. what's made him magical. He was a lich. <laughs> now that his beans are his soul's part of the beanstalk, ain't nobody killing him now. Possibly the biggest what the heck moment is that supposedly the girl claimed that they came from a land called Saint Martin's Land. And indeed, the saint was worshipped there. In fact, as you alluded to earlier, Angel, with their churches, they were Christians and had churches as places of worship. Keatley ends with this line. The sun did not rise there, but that there was a bright country which could have been seen from theirs, being divided from it by a very broad river. What the heck do you make of St. Martin's Land? I don't get it. I thought they were in a cave, but then they're not. But yeah, no, St. Martin Lands is on the other side of the cave, and it's constantly in twilight. I was under... Uh, but there's the, a big river. I was under the understanding that they, that the reason they didn't get light was because they were in a cave, but it turns mm-hmm. out that they're in another no. land that mm-hmm. just doesn't... The sun just doesn't exist, or it doesn't... Yep. It's just... Well, but it exists on the other side of the river. <laughs> so they could see it. They can, yeah, they can see the land that's I'm, lit. I'm thinking they live in the Arctic, man. <laughs> it's the only... That's not a river. That's the Arctic Ocean. <laughs> it's just a really broad river, they said. <laughs> so, I, I, well, like that. I think the oddest part is that it is a this, uh, split world of day and twilight. It can be seen from their land and is divided by a broad river. They made churches, presumably out of wood. Why can't they just make boats and get to the sunny part? Because they don't know how boats work. They don't. You, you, a boat goes to their don't area. Know how boats work. <laughs> they, if, if a ship had gone to them, they wouldn't have seen the ship. They, how did they not get in Christianity? Their, <laughs> Through Christians. How did Christianity get there? If not by boat. It, divine. <laughs> were you going to say divine diarrhea? <laughs> no. I was just going to say they were uh, graced by the divine divinity of God. And that's how they learned about Christianity or something like that. Because clearly, it's a real religion, right? If it was real, they would just know. It's not somebody has to teach you it, right? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) A hot take on religion by Angel. (laughs) Don't get me started on Dollar Tree. (laughs) Okay, Kevin Sorbo. So I looked into St. Martin, which apparently there are multiple, but this has to be named after St. Martin of Tours, based on the timeline here, whose attributes are man on horseback sharing his sharing his cloak with a beggar, man cutting cloak in half, globe of fire, and goose. <laughs> Does goose seem out of place here? I don't see why. Globe of fire, goose. <laughs> I mean, have you played that goose game? No. <laughs> Me neither, but I, I hear something. It's got a goose. It's got a goose. 
<laughs> it just honks at things and, and causes uh, mischief Chaos. everywhere it goes. Knowing they came from the wonderful world of St. Martin's Land, let us now turn to where did the green children go? As I mentioned, the boy died relatively shortly after being found, but the girl was around long enough to learn English. Indeed, it is supposedly documented that once she stopped eating all those frickin' beans, the color of her skin changed from green to a more natural color, or, as Keatley writes, gradually recovered the sanguine habit of her entire body. How long could you go with just eating beans, Angel? If they were raw indefinitely. Why raw? Because that's that's how they were eating it, right? Just raw. Well, I guess so. They they didn't didn't say they had a a, a pot and water to boil these beans in for twenty four hours to soften them up and then cook them. <laughs> eating raw beans, eating straight straight out of the uh, out of the pod, out of the pod. Even when they're with Sir Richard, <laughs> break open those pods and give me those beans. Do you have a favorite bean? My favorite bean is the refried kind. <laughs> the non-fat vegetarian refried bean. <laughs> A least favorite? Uh, the corned beef. <laughs> the corned beef bean? <laughs> yes. What's that? You know, it's a bean, but it tastes like corned beef. Is that one of those <laughs> genetically altered beans? Uh, I'm working on it, yeah. <laughs> with your plants that are mixed with cactuses. Oh, you think I stopped doing that, huh? <laughs> no, no. Got the 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 beans with the the cactus spines on them, so no one no one gets the beans out. You got to cook them and eat them with the spines. Oh. <laughs> there seems to be a variation in this story. One version that the girl remained in the service of Sir Richard and that she was that she was claimed to have been rather loose and wanton in her conduct. What do you think Keatley means by that, Angel? I'm pretty sure that means he's calling her a slut. Yep. (laughs) It was the 1139 way of saying, or I guess at this point, 1828 version of saying, "Mm." <laughs> According to William of Newburgh, though, the girl married a man at Lena and lived there for many years. Is this indeed a happily ever after story, Angel? I mean, I guess that one is. <laughs> Why are they so drastically different? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I, there's there's also variation where they both died, the the girl and the boy, because they weren't eating beans anymore. <laughs> Yeah, they got the the color was taken away from them. And they just couldn't keep going living, I guess. I mean, I picture it like E.T. when he's eating his Reese's Pieces. Like clearly, Steven Spielberg knows aliens like Reese's Pieces, or else he would have used beans. Can you imagine E.T. eating beans, following <laughs> Elliot eating beans? <laughs> what if, what if these kids, these uh, green children? We're like in a different phase of reality, and and once they started to eat regular food, they started to, or at least the girl started to get her color back, and that's but but beans aren't regular food. 
<laughs> well, well, the thing is, once she, uh, you know, they said they couldn't understand them when they spoke because they were in a different phase of reality. So once they got the mm. regular food and, they, and her color came back, she started speaking. It was just normal yep. English. Yeah. Like they were phasing out. So it was like uh, the cinematic version of they were talking backwards the entire time because <laughs> they were phased out of reality. Yep. And, like blinking. <laughs> a, a glitching. Uh, as they were. Mm-hmm. So, in his description of the events, Dr. Carl Shooker wrote in his report titled, The Green Children of Woolpit Investigating a Medieval Mystery. But by far the most bizarre characteristic of this peculiar pair was their color. It was as if they had been skillfully fashioned from summer leaves or soft meadow grass, for just like their clothes and even the strange hue of their eyes, their skin was green. So, not only was their skin green, everything was. What reason do you think the Denzians of St. Martin's Land would have to make even the color of their clothing green? Well, now I'm just I'm just thinking like, uh, you know, Legend of Zelda. The, <laughs> like Link? <laughs> Link, yeah, his people, they all wear green. But like, that little, dye has to come from somewhere. <laughs> little oven children. Dye. Oh, the dye? It's a, a, from probably from Octorok Eye or something like that. From what? That's an octopus. (laughs) That's a Legend of Zelda. No, Um, that's a reference to um. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard of this. This author who was looking to writing a historical fiction novel, and he was writing about some character who was making a dye for dyeing their clothing uh, of red. So he just did a quick internet search for red dye. And they got the ingredients from uh, Breath of the Wild, and he just put that in his book. What? <laughs> so, so people are just reading this book, historical fiction, about some character creating a red dye, and then suddenly he's grabbing Octorok Eye and 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 what's the name of the bat key swing <laughs> to make the dye, and they're like, "This is this is from a video game." <laughs> And the and the author when they How brought did it he up, not know? he's an idiot. And and when they brought it up, them he was basically he said, "Oops, <laughs> <laughs> oops." <laughs> that's a that's a big oops. Like cash in uh, cash, a fistful of bullets, where he shoots a man with a shotgun in a bar, looks down and says. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then gets hit by a car. <laughs> but what don't a, worry, a listeners, movie. he's okay. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Probably your favorite part of this whole story, Angel, is the consumption of beans. Shooker states this about beans, particularly pertinent to the folklore facet in seeking explanation of the green foundlings of Woolpit is their especial liking for beans. According to ancient Celtic tradition, beans are the food of the dead, the sole sustenance of resurrected corpses and ghosts, thus enhancing the unworldly aura already encompassing these weird children. Food of the dead. Did you know beans were the food equivalent of heavy metal music? I did not, but it also explains why they contain human souls. <laughs> I know. I mean, 
That's science. <laughs> why would a ghost need sustenance? And why do you think we attribute this to a being of all things? Well, I think the, sa- the go- a ghost would need sustenance the same reason why he would need a train to get somewhere. <laughs> hey, Abe Lincoln's corpse ghost isn't going to just get around by itself. Can you imagine just his his corpse floating down the, the train tracks? It needs the whole train. Crepe and all. <laughs> Uh, as for as for why beans, um, I feel like the ancient eras had a really weird relationship with beans. Throughout this episode, I've been talking about human souls being inside of a bean. That's an actual thing Pythagoras uh, believed in. He did not. He was a uh, not a fan of beans, and he says he didn't eat them because when you fart, it was your soul leaving your body mm-hmm. and your he, whole damn life force coming out your ass <laughs> and he believed that human souls were housed in beans so i don't know where all these bean this bean lore comes from but apparently a bean lot of lore. <laughs> a lot of people have held these kinds of beliefs you look at them they're just little they're beans they're little <laughs> tiny beans and they're like these things have the power to hold souls if I eat them, I will fart and my soul will slowly come out of my body. <laughs> it, what? <laughs> and then I often think, like, was there no other food that made him gassy? Like, come on. There's, you can't expect me to believe that it was just the beans. It's well documented. Pythagoras never farted. <laughs> I mean, there's no document saying he did, right? <laughs> I don't see any journals where it says on... On the 3rd of Augustus, uh, Pythagoras farted so loudly it scared a horse. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he was so smart to make that theorem. Because his his soul was still in his brain. (laughs) Beans. Beans, fruit or vegetable. I'm pretty sure it's legume. <laughs> it's its own classification. Well, then why is it the song Beans, Beans, the Magical Fruit? Because how else would you rhyme? <laughs> Just, I've got to change everything for this rhyme to work. It's <laughs> not the first time I've heard that. What the hell's going on? Why don't we just look at a few theories to see if we can pinpoint what the hecking heck is going on here? Theory one is titled Flemish Confusion. So this theory comes from Paul Harris, who argues that the children were actually Flemish children speaking a different language who ran away from violence related to Flemish uh, settlers in the aftermath of a civil war in England. The children were from Fornham St. Martin, explaining the St. Martin portion of the story, and their understanding of Christianity. Due to dietary deficiency, the children developed what's called green sickness or hypochromatic anemia. Other historians, however, argue that it is not realistic that Flemish orphans would have been displaced in this area of England, and that someone educated like Sir Richard of de Calne would have easily been able to recognize the Flemish language. Do you think the children were just malnourished Flemish orphans? I'm going to say yes, because... Mm. I don't really know much about that area anyway. 
Or its histor- its history. Uh, Harris's claim is that there were a bunch of Flemish mercenaries that were brought in to help in the Civil War against, I think it was like Hen- Henry the First or Second or something like that. Apparently, the mercenaries, I guess, brought their families. That's kind of weird. And they settled. And then after the Civil War, which the Flemish mercenaries were on the losing side of, people were like, well, <laughs> F these Flemish people. We're going to start killing them all. And then they like raided the areas that they were living in. And these orphans somehow ran off into the woods, ate a crap load of wild beans, and turned green. <laughs> well, that's convinced me. I don't see why it couldn't be Flemish orphans. <laughs> well, I guess the argument, though, is that there weren't really that many Flemish people there, and it would be unlikely that these orphans would have been in this area. Well, that's like the great uh, earthquake that also occurred in 1139 <laughs> that killed about 200,000 people. Which is a controversial mm-hmm. number because apparently not that many people existed there. I don't know. 7.7 magnitude. Did it occur? <laughs> I don't know. A mountain collapsed and made a river into like six lakes. That's like the, the That's like the start of a creation story. It's usually how. Or like if we go back to like mid-2000s apocalyptic movies that were really cool at the time. It was a hip thing to do. That's how the opening scene would have occurred in a different version of 2012 without the guy that's not Kevin Spacey. <laughs> I can't think of him, but he, I can't think of the guy that's in 2012. I have not seen that movie because... Because you're against post-apocalyptical movies? <laughs> oh, John about... Cusack. John <laughs> Cusack is the guy's name. <laughs> I'm not opposed to these kinds of movies, but... I mean, it didn't even come, it came out in 2009. Like, come on, man. <laughs> What's going on? Well, because the world was going to end, Angel. In 2012, you're going to release a movie when the world's coming out? Or uh, uh, the, when the world's going to end? Well, yes, because that's, that's clearly marketing. movie makers would know better that the world was not actually going to end. <laughs> they would have known the Mayan calendar. We were reading it wrong. <laughs> With the... Nutritional hardship of the time. Do you think it was? It would be. Do you think it is feasible that people would have known more about the green sickness at that time, or at least have encountered it before and been like, "Shit, these could just be eating too many beans." <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like if even if they did know about it, people that have diseases then were probably just a tr- uh, labeled monsters or something. <laughs> so. You, you, you abomination! <laughs> I mean, that's how it goes, isn't it? You know, story of uh, vampires. This is some guy has a disease that he can't go out into the sun, and uh, you know, people are just like, "Oh, you have the devil in you," or something. <laughs> Cast them out. So I'm sure if they had green children or green people, I don't know. I just I don't see. I kind of see. Say, yeah, they should have known about it, but at the same time, it's like, would they have? Because mm-hmm. even with, with uh, nutritional hardships, there's usually, like, more than just beans to eat. And, you know, they're cooked usually, not raw. Pulled straight from the pod. <laughs> like, like I'm pretty sure, like, everyone talks, like, you're talking about this, uh, um, this anemia. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, 
what if it's just eating the raw beans that's making them green? Like maybe all that chlorophyll in the beans <laughs> turning them oh. green. Like how a flamingo eats mm-hmm. shrimp and gets pink. Oh yeah. And well, also though, I I believe I recall seeing like just eating raw beans over and over again is not healthy. It can like poison your body. Yeah, raw beans have a, a toxin that can affect you, and specifically. According to, uh, they're supposed to be eating broad beans. I don't know how uh-huh. accurate that is. Supposedly, that contains levodopa, which is a precursor to dopamine. So these kids must have been high too, just a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's why they didn't know the language they were speaking. They were <laughs> high on beans. <laughs> who who needs all that uh, Twitter Twitter likes when they got dopamine running in their system? <laughs> just eat a bunch of uncooked beans <laughs> and then some nutmeg. <laughs> God. We're just learning all these natural ways of getting high on this show. <laughs> theory two is parallel universes theory, Angel. Harold Wilkins wrote in his Mysteries Solved and Unsolved in 1959 that the children were indeed from another dimension parallel to our own. Somehow they they passed through an interdimensional door and thus waltz into ours with a hunger only beans could satiate. Well... <laughs> I mean, it's as plausible as any other theory we've ever had, you know. It reminds me of that uh, Back to the Ghost Train episode of all episodes. The the one that was like the Italian dinner train that went through the tunnel <laughs> and like disappeared. And like people jumped out before it went in the tunnel. Was the was this the same scenario where the inter- interdimensional door was in the cave? <laughs> what? Maybe, but... If, I mean, if if they're coming from a another dimension, why aren't they interdimensional beings like the the Mothman? Mm-hmm. Why do they look like children that are like green? Us, but green <laughs> with green clothes. So I mean, clearly they they had the same cultural designs as us because their clothing was the same, like the same. It worked the same. It was different style, but I guess that's why it's a parallel universe where everyone's green <laughs> and, oh, and, and sickly apparently <laughs> what a what a shitty universe that is <laughs> why would the aliens be going cuckoo for beans it's something they never had in their planet that's why it's the that's Reese's why... pieces of their of their species <laughs> that's why they try to rip open the stalks and they're like there's nothing in here <laughs> In their universe, the stocks, the beans are inside the stock. <laughs> yep. Theory three is little green men. So as far back as the 1650s, Robert Burton suggested in Anatomy of Melancholy, what, what a title, that they were from another planet. And indeed, Francis Godwin's story in The Man in the Moon, and moons with an E on the end, from 1638 the green children played a role, suggesting that they're not of this planet as well, and some consider that the first sci-fi story ever written. I would disagree, because sci-fi is very broad, but that's <laughs> not here nor there. What do you make of, even back in the 17th century, a suggestion that they were aliens? I find um, that a lot of the- I thought about this. A lot of theories seem to expand... When I, uh, scientific ideas get uh, propagate, once people started exploring like 
astronomy and stuff, suddenly the idea of aliens is a thing. Whereas before, that was never thought of. Um, that wasn't a concept, really. Yeah. Except so, for the ancient aliens that helped. Yeah, except the ancient alien ideas is something that came much later, right? Mm-hmm. So I just, it's like, I don't know. I feel like this was the early, uh, maybe the maybe it's not the first sci-fi story, but maybe it's the first instance of aliens did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> the more modern theories suggest the children were sent here by accident by a malfunctioning matter transmitter or even that they have been here the whole time, but as some sort of civilization that lives deeper within the Earth. Do you have any thoughts on it being aliens or uh, center of the Earth Denzians? Well, so this is another thing that fascinates me is how people, Earthlings, seem to know what technologies other aliens have, like matter transmitters. Like, just... How do we know they have these and things? It, and it just, malfunctioned and put them in a cave. And, and clearly it malfunctioned. The The aliens are sophisticated enough to have a matter transmitter, but not sophisticated enough to get rid of any of the bugs that it mm-hmm. would cause it to uh, malfunction. The, the girl lived here. They never, they never thought, well, we should get her. <laughs> they were just like, she's gone. We, we can't get her now. And also, does this... Does this theory suggest a hollow earth? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> oh, boy. There's, are, are they lizard people? <laughs> Jesus. Theory four <laughs> is called Folklore All Along. This one is pretty basic, just that this was a story and nothing more, and that people are looking too deeply into something that was just a story about Faye. Do you think this has just been an overblown investigation over the centuries and it was just indeed a story? Um, I wouldn't say it was overblown, but I would be interested in knowing if there's any other cases of people having green skin for whatever reason. I think there's some truth to this story, and I think through time it was kind of combined to make them seem more fae-like. But... Why don't they have more powers? <laughs> we have seen that the Fey are ins- insanely strong. These kids, uh, one died because he stopped eating the beans, presumably. <laughs> and the other one was like, I've had enough beans. I'll start eating other food. And then her skin became uh, not green anymore. And then she lived presumably a normal life. Well, I, th- I think this is this goes back to the whole that is this started off as a true story. I think... When you get a true story, it's harder to kind of go off the rails with it. Mm-hmm. So you're not going to just as- ascribe to them some magic powers because mm-hmm. because that's not how it went. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it kind of started off as, yeah, there's some green children. And then there's kind of people as it went on kind of hinted at them being kind of otherworldly. And, oh, they mm-hmm. came from a land with no sun and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did also see that there were variations where. When there were full moons, they howled at the moon and ran on all fours. <laughs> the kids did. So With embers, huh? <laughs> yeah, they were the, the elementals. <laughs> elemental wolf peoples. <laughs> but yeah, suggestion that they were possibly feral children raised by wolves was the argument in that situation. And that the reason that they were speaking some other language was that they 
developed their own language between them and then uh, I suppose it was fairly easy to break them of their ferality and uh, maybe that's why she was uh, loose and wanton <laughs> she didn't know she didn't know any better <laughs> she didn't know not to spread her legs because she was raised by wolves and they didn't teach her her uh, ladylike manners in 1139 can you imagine being raised by wolves and and you go to the wolf pits? I mean, they designed the pits to kill the things that raised you. <laughs> Maybe that's what happened. They were being raised by wolves and the wolves fell in the pit and then the <laughs> they went searching for them. They're like, "Where's Mama and Papa?" <laughs> it's just a case of feral children. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, anything else that you wanted to add before we get into the rubric of power? The return of the Get Me Off This Ride edition. Earlier, you talked about uh, Carl Shooker's description of them, of the children. And it's interesting because it says it was as if they had been skillfully fashioned from summer leaves or soft metal grass. And I don't know if you've heard of the Green Man. Yeah. Uh, The Green Man is a legendary being primarily interpreted as a symbol of rebirth representing the cycle of new growth that occurs every spring. The green man is most commonly depicted in a sculpture or other representation of a face, which is made of or completely surrounded by leaves. So I thought that was interesting. I'm wondering if, again, going back to the whole, the they kind of embellish the story, if trying to imply that these green, ch- green children are somehow related to this green man. Green man yeah. With like a very base connection to nature a lot of the information that was told here came from a book called secret history conspiracies from ancient aliens to the new world order by nick redfern and i have a bone to pick with him because he has a chapter on the children the green children and he starts off his chapter by talking about ufos because he's trying to make this whole book's about aliens, essentially. So he's he's going on the route of the green children were aliens. So he starts talking about aliens in this chapter again. And he gives us a sample of, of the using the word little green men to kind of tie it all in. And he starts off with the example of the hopscotch gobbles as his first instance of green. And I don't remember them being green. Was that? The, uh, they they weren't green. They were it was the, metallic in nature, silvery. Yeah, but, and so the green was came from the the Kelly, the town mm-hmm. of Kelly, where they yep. the newspapers said Kelly Green. Yep. So he somehow botched it and said that <laughs> he did, they didn't he? <laughs> he said that the green colored men came out of there and they were shooting them. So that's that, right? And then he finally starts talking about the children, the green children. And then he goes on to say, Shooker, he starts quoting Shooker. He says, oh, uh, Dr. Carl Shooker writes in his paper, The Green Children of Woolpit. And he picks out this line of that paper where Shooker is talking about some other persons. Specifically, I think it's uh, Harold T. Wilkins on on his uh, mention of aliens. And then a short mention of the Robert Burton of the anatomy of melancholy thing. And that's the one quote he chooses 
to to continue with his alien theory and it's like sugar that was not his opinion that was sugar writing about these people in fact in that paper sugar says that he's actually leans towards the the simplest answer which is i think the flemish the flemish the, the, con- yes confusion <laughs> yes the the flemish children so he believes that this did occur but it's not aliens and it wasn't um interdimensional beings or anything like that it was just children that spoke a different language mm-hmm. and but he uses sugar as an authority on the matter to <laughs> argue his point which is not the point that sugar's making <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's my uh i have a bone to pick corner <laughs> angel's bone picking corner <laughs> So then why don't we do it? Why don't we jump into the rubric of power? Get me off this ride edition. And we're starting off as a, a reminder here, because it's been so long with this specific rubric of power, the in their shoes category. How scary would it be for green children? I'm assuming I'm a villager and spots these green children, right? You're, you're Robert. Robert the Hugger. No, Robert. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's not scary. Everyone f- presented him to the freaking knight. <laughs> like, hey. Sir Richard. <laughs> look look at these grandchildren. <laughs> I thought it was... I would be a bit apprehensive, to be honest. I mean, they're green. They're green children. <laughs> they're green. They're coming out of a wolf pit. <laughs> like, Why are what they is, in the wolf pit? Were they, what is going were they on? wolves and now they're people? I imagine once I see them that they're children, they kind of look human and they're trying to talk. I'll be like, I think they're harmless. You know, I'll just be a bit cautious. I give it a two. I think it would have been somewhat scary from both the kids' point of view and from the villagers. Uh, You mentioned the witch trials in our last episode. I mean, if I was back in that time, I'd be like, our wolf pit captured some witches. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're green, green witches. If I was one of the kids, my uh, matter transmitter malfunctioned, and now I'm on an alien planet. <laughs> so that's scary, too. And then my brother dies because we stopped eating beans. <laughs> that's scary. I landed on a 2.4 for in their shoes category. So how about believability? Is it too outlandish for green children? You know, we already talked about this. I think this is totally believable. I don't have a problem. Uh, somebody s- saying to me, you know, I was attending uh, my wolf. <laughs> I, I don't know why that's funny to me, but I was gotta, my, gotta go tend my wolf. Tending my wolf pit, <laughs> and this green hand comes up. <laughs> it's like two children in there, and they're green. They're like. Help me. <laughs> it's like, that's pretty crazy. But I'm not going to say, ah, you're lying to me. <laughs> because if I feel like if I was going to lie about that, why would I make them children, like normal looking children, but green? Why not? Oh, and then they were, uh, you know, spitting curses at me. They're from the devil. And yep. they got embers. <laughs> they have horns. <laughs> horns. Yeah. So I, I gave this one a, a three in belie- believability. Mm-hmm. Not a bad score. I went the route of that this is relatively a tough one to rank, actually, because there are a fair amount of writings from relatively close to the time period of people who believed it was a real occurrence. 
I think what helps it is that the girl's skin stopped being green. I think if this would have just been some kids that looked like Shrek assimilating <laughs> into the culture, I'd be like, I don't know about that. So <laughs> I landed um, on another 2.4 for believability. How about now the lore and mystique of the green children? <laughs> oh, man. I absolutely did not think there would be so much on these things, on these green, green children. Um, there's so much information. The wiki page itself is has got lots of info, lots of references. It's wild. And there's so much going on because... This this is happening in the 1100s. As you noted, there's not much going on in, in the year 1139. <laughs> so to have this story come out and then just have so much things that you could look into. Uh, Robert Burton writing the anatomy of Mel- melancholy for some reason mentions the green children in there mm-hmm. and says they're possibly from Venus. Like, who, who does that? <laughs> yep. You know what? They could be from Mars or Venus. I don't know. <laughs> Robert Burton does that. <laughs> um, you know, tying it with the, the Green Man legends. Um, and then we didn't talk about this, but there was like a a Spanish version yeah. popped up that was the same story. <laughs> But with the names made more Spanish, mm-hmm. even like Richard's name is yeah. relatively the same. <laughs> and it, this was around the 1800s, I think it was that they wrote it. And uh, but the ending was that both the children died. And then they, I guess they tried to investigate like, hey, you know, trying to find out if, about the story and nobody could find anything out. So they just yeah, figured, just oh, this, this is just a copy, mm-hmm. a copy pasta. <laughs> From the 1800s? From the 1800s. Would that be like a, a copy Gutenberg? <laughs> I don't know. I just And then I see the pictures of the... of the That they keep using on, on the wiki page. It's like these two kids. And I just keep thinking of Hansel and Gretel for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just... All of it, it just brings this... Evokes this weird otherworldly like even not knowing the story it just seems like a fairy tale but then mm-hmm. reading the story it's like did this really happen i don't know it seems i gave or it, is a, it that good of a story yeah i give it a three mm-hmm. i think the the fun thing about this is that people have been arguing about it for centuries on its validity it has kept people's attention uh of is it real or is it just a story and we don't really get that too much uh anymore I don't think. And then there's the whole bean thing, Angel. The the beans, they go gaga for beans. Is that not the greatest thing ever? If if I could go back to the 1100s and write a fairy tale and include beans, hell yeah. <laughs> um I, I think saw, we need we need more beans in in our folk tales. Just everything, more beans. I saw claims that someone did the genealogy that traced back to the girl who, if I remember right, she was given the name of Agnes. But I I don't know if it was a true tracing of the family line or they just made stuff up. But, like, that's cool. And then, the, like, the I think on the, like, the green side of it, 
I think is clearly attached to like the the um, attributes that are normally associated with green in Western culture of like nature and fae and that sort of uh, part of storytelling very much like a, a connected to the earth type mentality so it's a lot of fun different things going on i landed on a three for lore and mystique so how about the uh controversial segment the danger level <laughs> of the green children did lots of people die right mm-hmm. only one just the boy <laughs> and it's because he he got sick or maybe he succumbed to his sickness already. If mm-hmm. we're to believe that the green was causing the green, uh, the green uh, skin was was an illness. Aside from that, I don't think. I mean, there's there's no danger. The, the, there's no uh, presentation of aggression or or on both is, sides. Is this a first? An absolute <laughs> first. Nobody in this entire nobody story was aggressive. <laughs> nobody was aggressive. Everyone just kind of. They it's, just they just accepted her and like so she assimilated into the population. <laughs> uh, yeah, everyone's happy, I guess. <laughs> Going back to that question you asked me, yes, I think it is a happy ending. <laughs> mm-hmm. I yeah, danger level is uh, hi, just a reminder. High high numbers is is high danger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, yeah. So like a four would be like, hold my. God, that's the the seven point seven magnitude earthquake of eleven thirty nine. Yeah, so I gave it a, a one in danger. Mm-hmm. Yep i i I wrote the boy died and that's it. <laughs> um, a, a one that's what I gave it. So finally, the impact on pop culture of Green Trouble. So this one disappointed me because <laughs> because. <laughs> Disappointed. <laughs> Disappointed. <laughs> I, I really want like this is such a I don't know what it is about this story. It's like it's like the Suchinoko all over again. You know I want to <laughs> I want to cuddle these kids <laughs> with less alcoholic snakes. <laughs> yeah, and um, I feel like this this story just kind of stayed English. Like it's it's a super English story mm-hmm. and it stayed english it didn't really go anywhere from there it doesn't you know i've there's i didn't i've never heard of the green children prior to to this you know this is not a thing here in the states people are talking about all the time um <laughs> did you hear about the green children in the 1100s <laughs> my god man that's not that's not uh water cooler talk at your work <laughs> I mean, nobody's making movies about these things either. You know, we're getting new mm-hmm. Wendigo movies, you know, but Green Children, yep. nobody wants it. The whole cinematic universe. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, for the pop culture, I gave it a one. Mm, yeah. yeah. I don't think this is a major one. It is not a major event, I don't think. I suppose the idea or similar ideas are out there in folklore. But I don't think it's necessarily anything huge or groundbreaking. Um, I I did not see any beers at all. But that is somewhat understandable to not have children on your beer packaging. So I, <laughs> I'll let this one pass without any anger related to it. So I landed on a, I gave it a one and a half 
for impact on pop culture. So what did you add up to for your score for the rubric of power for green children? I have a 10. So you were on a 10. I was on a 10.3 with a score now for the rubric of power of 10.15 for the green children. Not bad. 10.15. That is 0.15 higher than the Dingonic. Is that the only one it beats out? Oh, jeez. Oh, is this is bottom event? Yeah. Ooh. This is the lowest event. It's because there, there was no aggression. There <laughs> no was aggression. No, there was no danger to be had. <laughs> yeah, it's it's those those numbers, man. You got to be aggressive. Curiosities, it's time to delete your MySpace accounts. Get <laughs> rid of all that Facebook stuff. Uh, move away from... The emails, oh wait, keep that one. And head on over to Twitter, the only the the only true social media. Except for Instagram, that one too. <laughs> and uh make sure to follow us at Cracking Curios, that's on Twitter, and tweet at us. Maybe you wanna hear about uh cryptid that we haven't covered. I mean there's plenty. I can name at least Two big names, three, but you got to convince Matt here and uh, include a hashtag cracked cryptids. It's fun. It's easy. It's Twitter. And on Instagram, we're, uh, we can find us at cracking cryptids. I'm getting followers all the time because I'm friendly. We're all friendly here. And you can tell us on Instagram what your favorite event of 1139 was. <laughs> yeah. Play along. Give us uh, the uh, favorite event for what was the last one we did? Something. What was it? Listen, what was listen to that episode. Oh, Champlain. Uh, Champ. Champ. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So 1609, maybe. Swiss cheese. <laughs> yeah. 1609. It was 1609. And you can shoot us an email at crackingcryptidsandcurios at gmail.com. We are on almost every podcast platform that you can think of. Pick one and just download all of our episodes and listen to us. And if they let you rate us, give us all the thumbs ups and all the stars and all the hearts or whatever it is. It's all fun. It's too much fun. I'm not being held at gunpoint or anything. By a fist point. Let's see that guy with his fist behind you. Uh, and as always, goodbye. Receperit Brunes Opidum. This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. Quite frankly, I think everyone will agree with me on this. Turkey just sucks all around.